0: Hi, welcome back to Open Mind with me, Frankie Bridge. Today is a very special episode. I'm so excited because I am joined by Mal, who is my personal therapist that I've been seeing for... God, Mal, it must be like near on 10 years. Yeah, now. I, I was just saying, Quite yeah, ridiculous. absolutely,
1: yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So if any of you have read my book, Open, you'll know that Mal throughout the book kind of gives little tips and hints on mental health and anxiety and depression and kind of explains some of the things that I went through and some of the things I'm talking about in the book. And I felt it was really important to get her onto the podcast to answer some of your questions. So I put a little thing out on Instagram to ask you guys to send in some questions that you have surrounded by yours or someone who knows mental health. There was about 800 of them. So we've done our best. Some of them were quite similar to each other. So we've kind of grouped them all together. And we're trying to find a way to better answer your questions. So you will get the best out of this podcast. So firstly, I feel like Mal, one of the main questions and something that even though I've written a book about it, and I have you and Mike, who is my psychiatrist. Yep. I still never know how to answer the question, yep. what is the difference between a therapist, a psychiatrist and a counsellor?
1: Yep, okay, that's an easy one. Uh, <laughs> let's get the easier one out, which is a psychiatrist. Mike, who's written the book with us, is a psychiatrist. Therefore, what that means is that he trained as a medic first, so he did all of his doctor training, and then he specialised in psychiatry. So psychiatrists are really good. I always work with psychiatrists. They're really good at assessing, diagnosing, and then prescribing medication. Therapy is slightly a bigger subject. So I'm a clinical psychologist, which tells you a little bit about my training. So my first degree was social psychology. Then you go off and train into clinical psychologist. A psychologist would be somebody who has some training in looking at behavior, sort of diagnosis a little bit. We don't prescribe, okay? If somebody is going to find somebody to talk to for the first time, it's really important to see whether they're registered with one of our organisations. There's one called HCPC, which is, you know, the organisation which Health and Core Professions Council. Okay, so that would be okay. clinical and counseling psychologists would be registered. Other places would be, you know, if you go and get a counselor, counselors have to be, there's, there's no, they can have a voluntary registration. Okay, so their training right. is very different. As, as a clinical psychologist, it takes three years. Counseling is a very different route. The other question that kept coming up in your Instagram was like, what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychotherapist? Right, right, okay. Psychologists can be psychotherapists, but normally when people go to psychotherapy, it's more for trauma work, early childhood stuff. So, if you think that's okay. what you need, then you should seek out a psychotherapist. Sorry, Frankie. Okay, really long answer. Does that, that's okay. Does that, <laughs> no, does, that's uh, fine. So, psychiatry, psychology counseling it's but make sure for me
0: if I'm ever trying to explain it my in a short version is like a psychiatrist can prescribe medication and a therapist therapist, does talking therapy um, yeah Yeah. it's like more like talking therapy Um, and then a counselor I've never thought about that so a counselor is someone that then maybe hasn't done a medical
1: No, I haven't haven't got got a medical degree. I've just done a counsellor. But a a counsellor can become a counsellor through doing sort of quite short courses. They would have different type Yeah. But I don't don't want to get into hot water here, but their training is not as robust as ours. Let's just leave it like that. Okay, Okay, fine. Just make sure Um, that they are registered somewhere.
0: And would you say... When would you know, okay, maybe I need a psychiatrist um, or maybe I just need a therapist?
1: You know what? I would say, first of all, go and find a psychologist, like, you know, a therapist. Lots and lots of my clients don't have a psychiatrist. Okay. Like maybe, right. yeah. So maybe only maybe 20% of them have a psychiatrist. So a lot of them, okay. So a lot of them would just be referred by their GP or whatever just for talking therapy. Okay. So if I am worried about somebody or I'm thinking, okay, we've been doing lots of sessions here, but their depression, for example, is still, you know, they're still very stuck in it. And so then I would say, okay, well, would you like to go and see my colleague who can assess you? So, okay. it, it, yeah, we don't come in, you know, in a team, Frank, You did. yeah, And psychology can be accessed in lots of ways.
0: Yeah, I think one of the big questions was, Well, firstly, how to know when you need to take that step to go and see a psychiatrist or a psychologist.
1: I think, first of all, and I would say this, I think everybody needs to go and talk to somebody or somebody. Uh,
0: but you know what? I think anyone that sees a psychologist thinks the same thing. Like, yeah. I think the world would be a much better place if we all had a bit of therapy Absolutely. every now and then.
1: <laughs> you know, we should become more American in some ways. Yes. Not, not with other ways, but uh, be more open about it, be more accepting about it. You know, but people who come and see me, it's not like, oh, I have a reliance. They won't make a, you know, it's not, They won't make a decision without talking to me first. It's not like that. Yeah. I am somebody they will probably never see, you know, in any other area of their life. They can just come and talk to me. Honestly, I w- my profession tells me I cannot judge people. So I have heard so many stories, Frankie. But you know what? I will just listen. I'm so interested in people's stories. And I will ask some questions. And I think people really value that. And mm. them coming.
0: And it's completely confidential.
1: 100% obviously you know Mike and I when we were looking after you we would talk about it especially if I was worried Mm -hmm. about you or something had happened but no I'm not even if I if you're referred to me from a GP and you say no I don't give you consent to go and you know give the GP a report I won't it's completely what what you know what happens in this room stays in this room
0: yeah yeah and so what are the different therapies then? Because I don't know this either. Because a lot of people ask me, "Oh, what kind of therapy did you have? Did you have CBT and blah blah blah?" And I'm like, I actually have no idea. <laughs> the, that's
1: a failing on my part, Frankie.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. But you know, even when I was in hospital, like I just did. You just did what, what you were I told. Was Doing and whatever was help, like yeah. helping. I didn't care what it was. Yeah. So I think that's one thing. I I feel like the word CBT is thrown around quite a lot. I don't really know what the other ones are. So I don't know if you want to explain some of the most common ones, maybe. Okay, so
1: CBT, cognitive behaviour therapy, which is essentially the way we think affects how we feel and how we behave. CBT has been going for a long, long time. It is really the treatment of choice for things like anxiety, phobias, addictions, depression, It is much more sort of, you know, based in the here and now, but that's often a criticism That's and I'm C you know, where I trained, it was very CBT, but I will, of course, I will look at, you know, early life and, you know, if there are traumas, there's something called schema-focused therapy, which is, um, you know, which is CBT as well. So, of course, I will look at background stuff. So it is a treatment of choice. If you have OCD, if you have anxiety, if you have panic attack, do not go and talk about early stuff necessarily. But go and, you know, get help for that first. And other things might come up. Right, okay. The other type of therapy would be, like I said earlier, the psychotherapy stuff, which would be talking about early trauma, attachment theory, relationship with parents. That is... You know, that, that is much more sort of long term. So for me, if somebody comes to me, we would normally sort of have maybe 8 to 16 sessions of proper CBT, which would be recording your thinking, all of that stuff. Then there's other stuff like person-centred therapy, which, you know, it's... My personality is very much I like to be engaged. I cannot sit here for an hour, Frankie, as you know me, an hour... And just listen and not say very much. Say, thank you very much. We'll <laughs> Can you imagine me doing that? No. No. <laughs> no. no. Uh, okay.
0: So I feel like we do a mixture then because yeah. we do CBT then, yeah. I'm guessing I've done yeah. CBT, but then we have also gone through past stuff because a lot of my yeah. issues is I hold on to a lot uh, of the past yeah and I feel like that was a big thing with the questions uh, that kept coming yes. up was people asking how to move on from the past so like past traumas things from their childhood yeah is there anything without obviously going and doing this therapy that you can suggest as like a practical I don't know way of looking at things or how to try and
1: in terms of past trauma, I think so many times I have people come to me and they will say, you know, my father was so-and-so and he did that and all of that, and through talking, and, you know, I don't do psychotherapy as such, through talking, just me asking them questions, getting them to sort of remember things from the past, it's often the case that their memories vary you know, it's it sort of almost like has stopped at a certain point. And then when they're talking about stuff and opening up their lives, they will realize, actually, my father wasn't that bad. <laughs> there were other things happening. So I would mm. say with trauma or if you think you've got, you know, difficult relationships with parents, and go and talk to somebody. Because yeah. also sometimes memories get stuck at some point in our life you know when we're young like when we were 12 or 14 and as an adult we can look at the past in a very different way you know mm-hmm. you've had children i've had children i am much more forgiving of my parents now and i'm so compassionate to my parents and i like oh my god did they cope with that you know my mother brought up six daughters in this like how oh my goodness i know and now i think my god even with two children how did she do that so I think as adults, yeah. we can be more compassionate, but we have to talk about it. We, yeah. we have to look at it. So I think if it's early trauma, I know, obviously, there's real trauma, if there's sort of abuse in the back, uh, background. Yeah. Please, please, please go and talk to somebody.
0: Yeah, I think as well, you've, you've spoken a lot to me about trying to learn a bit of forgiveness Absolutely. for yourself 100%. and for that person. 100%. And I feel like guilt was a big yeah. thing as well in the questions. And obviously, you know, Mal, yeah. guilt is one of my yeah. biggest things. I That's, I think, a really difficult one. I almost think it's easier to, to forgive others than yourself. Yeah. Do you find that a lot with patients that that's quite a thing or is it just me? (laughs) No,
1: you in particular, because you are such a harsh critic of yourself. All right. You don't see what the rest of us see in you. And that that, anybody, I think, you know, you can stop 10 people in the street and they will say lovely things about you, Frankie. But I've seen you through really dark times where... I've had to make you cups of sugary tea and things like that because you <laughs> you you know, you, you just forget. We feel that if we punish ourselves, then somehow we are able to have some control. It's, yeah. it's not the case. It's not the case. I truly believe that if we can't be compassionate towards ourselves and we can't be compassionate towards other people, we are yeah. all defective in some way we all struggle in some ways through our life you know there is no life that you know is completely sort of untouched by anything everybody you know we all have losses we will lose jobs people have lost jobs recently we will lose loved ones also you know we grow older we lose our youth and <laughs> you're a beautiful creature like you right um <laughs> but so we all, but so all life is difficult this you know some um, philosophers will say that life is all about suffering so we just need to endure the suffering but you know suffering comes in different forms but we yeah. need to be able to forgive ourselves guilt you and i've said this to you so many times guilt is a rubbish rubbish emotion <laughs> it what does it do what what is the function of guilt just to make ourselves feel bad nobody else i
0: know but it's one of the hardest ones to not have yeah, but I
1: think oh, I think people who try and please other people have a lot of guilt.
0: Yeah, I suppose because you're never going to please everyone, no. so you're always going to be yep. feeling guilty. Yep. I suppose so. It is like you say, it's such a pointless emotion because you're never going to achieve what you're trying to no, achieve. No, and I
1: and I think sometimes society is also based on you know making us feel guilt. Lots of religions are based on guilt, mm. but. It's a form of control, and only we can sort of free ourselves of that. It is If yeah. you're feeling guilty, I don't know, first of all, find out what you're feeling guilty about. Like, have, have I been a rubbish daughter? Have I been a rubbish parent? And then try and turn that around and say, okay, how can I be a better parent? How can I be a better daughter? How can I be a better colleague? Because guilt just makes us feel stuck. So turn it around and say, okay, let me do something positive from that. Yeah. And that makes us feel a little bit better, don't you think?
0: Yeah, definitely. But I think it's one of the hardest things yeah. to do, it's, it's, yeah. for me anyway. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: I don't know. I feel like we touched on this a little bit, but I feel like a lot of people don't know when their stress or their feeling down is more yeah. than just feeling a little bit stressed or, or, yeah. or feeling anxious. Yeah. How would you explain to someone when it's maybe time to get some help? Okay.
1: So we all have days that we feel a bit rubbish. Okay. So, you know, like, oh, feeling a bit blue, feeling a bit... The word uh, the word depressed is overused in our society. <laughs> oh, really, really depressed. Yeah. Like, that's just rubbish. Just... There's a big difference between just feeling a bit blue, feeling a bit down, and clinical depression. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... We can all have days where, you know, one day, two days. But if that if that feeling is persistent, that nothing you do changes that, then I think you need to go and talk to somebody. So for me, I don't know, let's say we all enjoy going out to eat or seeing friends. If you go and do that, but you don't get the same sense of enjoyment from that, then you know, okay, there's something going on here. Okay so activities mm-hmm. that you previously enjoyed is one of the questionnaire things that yeah, you do, yeah I that exactly which you have done many <laughs> many times so activities that you used to previously enjoyed and you don't enjoy anymore also when people have no motivation so no motivation to do anything things that would have normally made them feel better like exercise or frankly sometimes even just you know like having a shower <laughs> where you have no motivation to self-care, to talk to people, to, you know, get change. That's when you think, okay, this is a little bit more than just feeling a bit rubbish.
0: Because I think there's that part of everyone, you know, that kind of like that stiff upper lip of like no, I'm fine, and unless you're broken on the floor and yes. have reached the point that I reached yes. where, like, yeah. you know, I felt like I could, couldn't could go on and I didn't want to be here anymore. I feel like people think they have to be at that point no. before they reach out to someone. And then I think, no, because by then it's so much harder to get back yeah. up from that.
1: Uh, and there's there's no place for pride or you don't get a prize for, you know, going in, when like you said, when you're on the floor. <laughs> go mm. and talk... Your GP should be the first person that you can go and talk to.
0: So you would say a GP it should be your first port of call?
1: 100%. But how do
0: you approach that? Because I think, you know, I've heard awful stories of friends even going to GPs and then being told, go buy a pair of trainers, go for a run or eat more chocolate, one of my friends genuinely got told. Right. Or... Just being whacked on some antidepressants, not really told anything about them. So I feel like people have this fear of going to the GP, that first initial... How would you say to approach that first appointment?
1: You know what? I'm I'm grown up and all of that. Even I get nervous when I'm going to see my GP. So I would really say make a (laughs) list. Perhaps... If you can get through the receptionist at your GP, book a double appointment. So, can I have twenty minutes? You can. You can make up some excuse like, yeah, I need to talk to him about something or whatever. Take a list and then sit there with your GP, say, I'm sorry, but, you know, this is very difficult for me. But can when, can I just talk about something that I'm struggling with?
0: Mm. So maybe write down when you're feeling, because oh, I know with you, yeah. sometimes I'll text you on a day yep. where I'm feeling yep. horrendous. Yep. And then obviously we can't speak for a day yep. or whatever. Yeah. And by the time I talk to you, I'm like, yeah, those things aren't really bothering me now. Yeah. And but they'll reoccur. Absolutely. Yeah. So I should just write them down. And I suppose that's the same with going to your GP is when you're feeling those feelings, write it down in that moment. Exactly. So that you can exactly. explain it properly. And
1: all GPs are trained in assessing anxiety and depression. But remember, you know, GP, the clue is in the name, they're general practitioners. So, mm-hmm. but what they will do is they will, you know, they will listen. I've got a lovely, lovely GP. They will listen and they will be able to sort of access you to, you know, you know, perhaps make a referral to the psychology department in your borough or they can give you something to read. But that is a really good sort of, you know, first point.
0: And what if you get a GP that does just try to fob you off with get some trainers eat more chocolate uh,
1: okay so uh, thank you sometimes there are more gps in the practice all right so you might yeah uh-huh. you, know, you might have to wait a month to see the gp that you know a nice try and uh, see someone else try and see somebody else you could even speak to the practice nurse they're usually very sort of kind you know there is also something which is called IAPT which is instant access to psychological therapies every every area so if you type in IAPT that's you can have six sessions of especially CBT they're very much CBT you can go and talk to them there's no waiting list or so if there is a waiting list it'd be about a few weeks there are sort of voluntary organisations there's the samaritans there is mind there is calm for men there's an organized there are so many things out there yeah
0: because i think a big thing for people is that nhs waiting list to see a therapist so those other options are good options maybe while you're waiting completely if you don't feel like you can absolutely
1: wait. read your book <laughs> there are so many other goods you know, <laughs> there are really good self-help books out there what we haven't talked about is mindfulness. Okay, so mindfulness is great. I think one of your questions said, oh, I don't want something which is a bit medit." It's not. Mindfulness is so good for things like anxiety, OCD, lots and lots of things. But don't you think it's something that needs to be practiced? 100%. Frankie. Because I find it so hard. Frankie, I find it so hard. It's, but it, mm-hmm. come on, how much exercise do you do, lady? You 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 know that the more you put in, the more you'll get out from it.
0: Yeah, I just think it's harder though when it's your when it's your mind because I think when I was in hospital, one of the things was mindfulness, and at that point, I couldn't handle it. It was t- it was too much. I couldn't sit with my thoughts that much, yeah. and then. I've never been able to do it. And then not so long ago, I did do a little bit of it a couple of months ago. Yeah. But And I didn't like it at first, but then I did find after a few goes yeah. that I really enjoyed it. But I suppose I'm in an easier position mentally to be able to handle it than what I was then.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree. I, I struggle because my mind, the minute I try and switch off, my mind races off. Oh, yeah, I need to do that. I need to phone that. But I think with practice and the moments I have been able to be mindful, it is bliss, right? Because your mind, yeah. it's really, really good for people with panic, with anxiety, with, you know, OCD stuff. It's, it's very useful. That is all online, you know, headspace and calm and so many. So those things are available. So you can start doing those whilst you're waiting for therapy on the nhs it's very sad sometimes you know i worked in the nhs for a long time there's sometimes there's a six months waiting list there's a 12 months wait but it will happen at some point there are also so many you know organizations uh, like you know aa and ga and ca so those are all free you can sort of tap into them all the time so yeah and they are wonderful wonderful organizations um
0: I suppose it's just taking that first step
1: to, yep. to go and
0: actually approach them.
1: But talk to anybody. Talk to your best friend. Talk to a family member. It doesn't have to be a professional, but don't keep things in because that is when you know you and I have talked about rumination, where we worry about stuff. We go over this so many times. People have sat in my room and say, "Oh, I've been worrying about this, but now that I've said it out loud, it sounds really silly." Oh, yeah. that I do
0: that all I the know. time. I can think about it for two months and then I see you <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I've wasted that yeah. long worrying about that. Yeah.
1: So, so talk to anybody.
0: Talk to somebody. I think it's just easier sometimes to talk to someone who is not emotionally attached. Yeah. I don't know. I think we have that thing where we're emotionally attached to someone we feel like they're going to tell us what we want to hear or if they don't tell us what yeah. they, we want to hear, we're kind of annoyed with them. Yeah. Whereas with you, whatever you say, yeah. I'm like,
1: all right, fair enough. <laughs> I know, because I say with authority, Frankie, that's why. Yes. <laughs> I know. No, but you know, the worst thing, you know, the worst thing somebody can say, a family member can say, oh, oh, it'll be okay. Oh, you'll get over it. Oh, no, 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 no. We know enough about mental health now. It's a real illness. You wouldn't yep. say that to somebody who's like, I don't know, like broken a leg or needs insulin. It is a sort of like, you know, a physically felt illness. Never mind, you know, how how traumatic it is, you know, for our mental health and all of that. You know that, Frankie. You've had many dark yeah. days. so people have... If you don't value your own mental health, then please don't expect other people to value it. you have got like, no, I'm struggling. I'm struggling, so I need to go um, and, you know, try and find somebody to talk to.
0: And how would you then approach someone who you know is struggling but doesn't seem to want help or hasn't reached out that you're worried about? How do you approach that situation? I feel like if someone doesn't want to be helped... They're not ready to be helped yet. You
1: know, I agree. I agree. But you can perhaps, you know, lay down some of, you know, you know, just some nice options like, you know, I'm always here if you need to talk to me, or I've noticed that you've been a bit withdrawn. Is everything okay? You know, men would show that they're struggling often through, you know, if they're more they're angry more or they're drinking a little bit more. Men can do all sorts of, you know, they can express anger, but they can't express other feelings. Mm.
0: Yeah, I was going to say men particularly, because that different. was a big uh, an, a question that came through a lot, is, or yeah. well, my husband or my boyfriend, I don't really know how to help them. Do you have to approach men slightly differently?
1: They see it as a weakness. I've seen this lovely, lovely man, sort of a um, father of two children, who I've seen for a while now, and he only came back to me recently. And he was always like, you know, I'm really frustrated with my wife. She doesn't do things. You know, she. You know, I tell her to. You know, like plan holidays or do stuff with the kids. Only recently has he accepted that he's a worrier. So when she, he's not a worrier. So he was saying, "Oh no, we need to do this. We need to do that." He was. He would was easier expressing it as anger and irritation. Whereas now he right. said, "Oh my God, yeah, actually, I ruminate about things and I worry." It's like, "Hmm, okay." So.
0: Oh, so, like, she was more laid back about Absolutely. time and Absolutely. booking things and stuff. Absolutely. And he's like, oh, why would exactly. she do it now? Exactly.
1: You're right, okay. Exactly. Yeah. So I think men will will show it. also men feel that they are expected to be strong and the providers and, you know, they need their children to look up to them and they are so afraid to show weakness. Whereas mm. you and I know that it's, you know, we... we you know, we are, we work with men, we, you know, we live yeah. with men and it's okay for them to show some vulnerability.
0: Yeah, I find the boys really respond more to Wayne when he yeah. is softer with them and wants cuddles. And yeah. like I still remember with my own dad, I still remember the first time he said, I love you oh. or I'm proud of you yeah. or gave me a massive hug. And I'm sure he had hugged me when I was younger and stuff, but... I definitely feel like he softened as he got older and I can feel and see that moment still. So I feel like men feel they need to be strong and they need to be this, that, the other, but actually I don't remember those moments of, I do remember my dad being strong, but I remember more and appreciate more those moments of softness and things from my dad.
1: Exactly. And, you know, men can do it. I mean, they can take their children out and play football and which is, which is great, but it's, you also need to be able to sit down and speak with your partner. And and if you need help, rather than reaching for the alcohol, which is, you know, which numbs and makes things okay for a while, mm. you know, go and talk to somebody. And I, I'm, I'm thrilled that, you know, lots of sportsmen have written books, you know, Rio Ferdinand about losing his wife, yeah. um, Freddie Flintoff about his eating. Too- that would have never yeah. happened like five years ago.
0: No, it's changing. It's definitely changing. Uh, 100%. And I, you know, But I feel like it's a big society thing. I yeah. think it's going to take a long time for yeah. us to break through that. You know, I'm a mum of two boys and even I have to watch myself sometimes. Like, oh, no, you've got to be a big boy and not cry or whatever. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think, oh, no, because I want them to show emotion. I try to get them to yeah. tell me things and to be open with me. And then, yeah, other times... Yeah. I might shut them down a bit yes. or something, and that's because that's been ingrained in, in me over years yes. of men are this, or women are that, and I don't know. I think we
1: yeah, and you know, it's okay for boys to say I don't like pink, and because girl, no, that's not okay. We need to challenge everything from such an early age. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like you know, girls can be allowed to express emotions, but boys, no. You know, there are so many boys who are sitting in their bedrooms playing computer games and, you know, doing online stuff and talking to people, and that's not always healthy. I think with yeah. any teenager, with any young person, communication is, uh, you know, the the key.
0: There's a lot of parents asking questions about their yeah. teenage daughter or sons yeah. and saying that they're depressed or they're anxious. Yeah. How how do you deal with that? Because they often shut you out, I guess.
1: They do, but I also think it comes from as parents, we need to like model good behavior. So if we're worried about something, then we can say, oh yeah, you know what, Mummy's worried about that, but that's okay. you know what? She's going to talk to daddy or talk to you know auntie and we're gonna figure that out. So they have mm-hmm. you need to use that language with them that everybody struggles but it's not as if it's insurmountable and nothing can be done about it. So teach them that language. As children, we should also, you know, encourage them to problem solve. You know, oh, Johnny's not playing with me in the playground. They all hate me. (laughs) So then you sit down like, okay, so what else is going on? Does Johnny talk to other children or whatever? So you sort of teach them. With teenagers... They are uh they are an interesting sort of species, <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, you don't pop into their bedroom. I've had teenagers like pop into their bedroom. Is everything okay? What are you doing? Show interest. When mm-hmm. they come down, my husband is a great believer in like when you know when the boys were younger, like come down and we'll eat, and then you're like, so how was your day, Noah? How was like uh, so you know just just educate them on that so they will talk about other things get them Mm. get them to come off their blimmin devices when they're eating they have to have you know maybe your child is going off and talking to a teacher which is absolutely fine but communication
0: sometimes as parents we want it to be us but sometimes that's not necessarily the case but as long as you know they're talking to someone exactly
1: you know I think as teenagers, they they have no respect for us. They think, you know, we're all idiots. Yes, no matter (laughs) what. So you've just got to think that as long as they have, sometimes, you know, you have to perhaps go and speak to the school counsellor if there is one at the school or Mm. encourage them to do it. But again, for us to be able to tell our children, to be able to tell our husbands and sons and every, it's okay to go and talk to somebody. Yeah. It is hard because children, I think they get also very, you know, they, they love their privacy, they, like, shut the door and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But, like, you know, I'm here, sh- should we go for a walk? Sh- you know, should we go and get something to eat? Get them to talk.
0: Yeah, I find even with the boys, and they're only five and seven, if they're kind of distracted by something else, yeah. I get more out of them. Exactly. So when I'm in the car with them yeah. and I pick them up from school, yeah. how was your day, I get nothing. Yeah. Whereas if we're eating or if we're walking, or I find often when they're when they're when they're in bed, yeah. that's when probably because they want to stay up later. Yes,
1: that's when they're more open for discussion. <laughs> <laughs> no, but also probably when they're a bit tired and a bit more relaxed.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's funny.
1: But anytime, you know, uh, Frankie anytime, you know, I know some parents don't have time or you know the luxury of being able to read the, the children a bedtime story. Yeah, but. Whenever you can, whenever Mm. you can to try and, you know, children do get depressed. It's not only adults get depressed. So children have lots of worries. COVID has presented, you know, like little four-year-olds are getting OCD now about hand-washing and germs. But be open with them, talk to them, talk about your own worries, but not to overwhelm them, obviously, but...
0: Yeah, how do you approach that? Because I get asked that a lot. Oh, do the boys know about you? Or like when you're having a... I get asked all the time, when you're having a bad day, what do you tell the boys? And I normally just say, oh, mummy's not really feeling very well today. And I don't really go into it, to be honest. What is the best way to... How is the best
1: way to approach that? You know what? That is the best way. Children, when they see their parents... Unhappy or arguing or struggling, they will often personalize it. I've done something wrong that Mummy's unhappy. uh you know, something uh, I haven't been a good boy or I haven't been a good. So I think it's really, really healthy for you to tell. You know what? Well, you know, Mummy's just a bit worried today, but it's okay. So all mm. they need to really know is, oh, it's nothing to do with me. She's just having one of her days. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right? <laughs> That's right. All right. So you're like Mummy's just in bed. Fine. Yeah, because you know, children want to please us. You know, children need our attention, but they're okay as long as they have an answer. When they're older, they can read your book and they can. But I, you know, what, Frankie? My boys are much older. They're not really interested in our lives that much. As long as I... <laughs> <laughs> they're not really that <laughs> interested, they're just like, oh, okay, she's okay. She's like, you know, yeah. As long
0: as you're right, they don't really need more
1: they don't need more mm-hmm. and i think for me the worst thing a parent can do is to overconfide in their child mm-hmm. if there are you know if there are big no-nos never your child is not your friend right mm-hmm. your child is not your partner you are the parent they it's our job no get,
0: matter how old they are
1: that's 100% because children be, start to feel over-responsible. You have that, you know what that's like. Oh, I know, yeah. Yeah. It's not healthy. So we are always a parent. We're always the adult. So you can share with them, but what they need is a parent. They can have lots of friends. Please (laughs) never overconfide in a child.
0: Do you find from seeing all of your patients and stuff, is social media a big thing for adults as well, but young people too? Do you feel like that's...
1: You will know, you know, more about this. But, Frankie, you know, it's human nature for us to compare ourselves to other people. It's very addictive. It is, I personally think it's very self-harming, but I am of that age now, you know, where I'm not so drawn to it as, you know, sort of younger people. So people have to be careful. People have to be careful. People have to, you know, if you're going to compare Yourself, I really feel that you need to compare yourself to a, like a previous version of yourself, and I think we wrote about that in your book. You know, like let's say I start to run, I can't say okay, I'm going to start to run like Mo Farah, whatever. I can never run; <laughs> I can't do that. But I can say, okay, you know what? I haven't been able to run, so maybe I'll set myself a goal of running five minutes or eight minutes. Mm. So I know people look to you. You you will be able to answer this a lot. but it's everything in moderation. It is such yeah. a, distra- for me, just such a, it wastes so much time.
0: Yeah, it is a lot of time.
1: And it does, it does,
0: you know, like I've had to take filters yeah. off of my Instagram. Yeah. I'm so
1: proud of you. I'm so purely proud. Purely
0: for myself. Yeah. <laughs> because every time I saw myself without one, I was like disgusted with myself. I was like, oh my God, my skin's not as clear or as even as as, as I thought it was. Yeah. And, it is, I think it's a really difficult one with social media. And I hope that by the time my kids are yeah. older, we would have figured it all out and kind of found that happy medium with the whole thing. Yeah. But I also think we have to take some responsibility ourselves, yeah. not just in what we post, but also how we take on other people's posts. Yes. Sometimes I kind of, if I look at someone's post and I think, oh, she looks so much happier than me or... She looks like she's got her shit together yeah. and I haven't. Yeah. I, I Instead of thinking, oh, she's out of order. She shouldn't post that. Yeah. I kind of think, well, why am I feeling oh, well, like yeah, that? That's my issue, not hers. And I think a lot of people give other people stick for what they post. Yeah you know, oh, someone posts a bikini picture and she looks amazing. Yeah. Well, why shouldn't she? She's obviously worked hard for it. Why shouldn't she be able to do that? Um, So instead of thinking they're a bad person, I think, look at yourself and think, well, why do I feel self-conscious looking at that?
1: 100%. You know, I agree, everything that you just said. It's... um, Mm. I think when people struggle with their self-esteem, that is when it, I think, bothers them the most because... You know, like, why can't I look like that? And then that is the way that they would talk about it or, you know, sort of express themselves would be through anger and anonymous yeah. posting is like, it destroys lives. I know, you know, people who are so smart and, and yet they will be, they, their lives would almost like fall apart if they have some, you know, like a negative criticism or a negative review of their book. It is so dangerous. And people would be yeah. tapping away, writing stuff. I don't know why. Why do people do it? Just to feel better? I don't understand. Mm.
0: There's almost like this takedown culture yes. now as well. If someone messes up, and I don't know from your point of view, but for me, I feel a bit like you know, someone makes a mistake. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes, yeah. and we 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 have been brought up, and we teach our children: yeah. you make a mistake, yeah. you apologize. Yeah you make it right, obviously dependent on how big that yeah. mistake is, yeah. then you move on. Yes. Whereas now I feel like with the way the world is going, it's like you make a mistake and you get wiped out. That's it. People think you should lose your life, your family, your job, whatever. Everything, yeah. And and I feel like that's teaching the next generation that you can't ever mess yeah, up and that you have to be perfect yep. forever. And that's just not realistic. It's
1: not human. Nice. <laughs> human to earn like we make mistakes but every time you know that's how we build up resilience you know, There's there's very famous fail fail again but fail better make a mistake but learn from it it doesn't mean that like you said you lose everything what's the point of that <laughs> And you know that's yeah. why if people have very very high expectations of themselves of themselves again you know men in particular that the you know, suicide rate of, you know, for men is so high because they do think they can't make a mistake. Public humiliation, all of that. We need to learn from it. Every single one of us has failed at something. I know I failed. I'm sure you would have. But you, yep. the best thing is like, okay, rather than thinking, okay, I don't deserve anything, but like, okay, I can learn from that. What can I learn? I know it takes time. People fail in their relationship. That doesn't mean you'll never be able to have another relationship. Be kind. You know, I know it's overused now, but be kind. Treat other people in the way that you want to be treated.
0: And what do you find that your patients find the hardest? Because I know you kind of we laughed because I was probably one of your last patients to call you because for me, lockdown was great. I I had no social anxiety. It was quite easy for me to stay in my house and not have to worry about any of my anxieties that I normally have. But that quickly changed for me when we came out of lockdown because then... There was change, which I'm not very good with, and uncertainty, which I'm not very good with, and (laughs) just kind of not knowing where we stand properly. What have you found with your patients has been the thing that they've found the hardest?
1: You are... I was very busy during lockdown, it. I learned how to use Zoom and all sorts of things. But it was... There was a lot of health anxiety, obviously. There were people struggling with sort of just adjustment, you know, like we are used to getting up getting change if we've got jobs to go out so now suddenly everybody's at home right so there was the people have been struggling with that but a lot of worry lots of stress and you you talk about uncertainty covid really really triggered uncertainty in lots of people worry anxiety and uncertainty just go hand in hand okay Anxious people need certainty. The antidote to sort of like, you know, worrying that is to be able to tolerate some uncertainty. Yes, there will be a vaccine, but, you know, it might not be till whatever next year. We have to train ourselves to live with some uncertainty.
0: And how do people deal with health anxiety? Because that came up quite a lot. And, you know, worry about anxiety about death like before covid anyway and I know I'm someone that really struggles with that and we've spoken about that quite a lot how I don't know I guess it's quite a broad answer but how does someone kind of train themselves to not be so anxious about it
1: (laughs) you know what it's I always say to people focus on the things that you can control there is so much in our lives that we can't control um, and that's where mindfulness also comes into play because mindfulness is all about in the, being in the here and now. I don't know when I'm going to die. I have no. I know it's inevitable. I will die. So focus on the things that we have under our control in terms of, you know, what we eat, how much we sleep, um, um, how much we exercise. Stay in the here and now. Worry is all about what if. Some of some of mm-hmm. your questions in the end, like you know, how how do I cope with my Sort of like, you know, worry or racing thoughts or whatever. It's like we talk about guilt, worry is a learnt behavior. Human beings, we are not born worrying. We learn to worry. We learn to worry because we want some control in our lives. So if I worry about, I don't know, um, you know, my health or the health of my children or whatever it it makes us feel almost like you know we have a plan so if that was to happen oh yeah I'd be able to do that so if my boys don't mm. that you know I don't know whatever like you know so worry is a learned habit which makes us feel a little bit secure not everybody worries believe me that's a fact not everybody worries <laughs> anxious people worry will mm. I ever get better Uh, Will this ever go? Of course it'll go. You know, everything changes. So you need to try and stay in the here and now. You need to learn, okay, when, when I'm worrying, you know, how am I feeling? What's my thinking? What's happening in my body? So break it down a little bit. Try, sometimes, you know, with worries, I would give them like a worry period. Okay, you can only worry for one period in your day which is between 3 and 3:15, let's say, right? <laughs> Seriously, Frankie it really works, right? Because anything oh, I can't worry about that now. I need to worry it through. I'll worry about that yeah, at 3:15. At 3:15, <laughs> you've forgotten that worry. So right. so like put put a sort of boundary around it. People worry people who write lists, not like lists when you're going to the supermarket, but just lists Oh, like, you know, what do I need to do for Christmas? Or what do I, you know, my child, my son's birthday party? Like, why do you need to? Like, trust yourself. People who worry don't trust themselves, mm. right? So I will be able to cope with that. So worry is a big topic. There, There is lots and lots of things that, you know, CBT is really good for worry. <laughs> it's a, yeah. But it's a, it's a learned behavior. So therefore, by definition, you can unlearn it. It's like a safety mechanism. If I worry, then I feel okay. No, you don't. You're going to be okay. (laughs) You're going to be okay despite that. Worry is its such a waste of time.
0: And do you think a lot of, because there was a lot of questions about sleep, do you think most of that is worry?
1: Yeah. Sleep is, human beings need to sleep. If we left sleep alone, we would sleep. It's like, you know, you go to bed you know sort of you know, general sleep hygiene stuff go to bed do not use your phone as an alarm clock or if you do you know go go to a shop and buy a three pound alarm, alarm clock or something right put it mm. on uh, put it on um, what do you call it airplane mode or something yeah the bed should only be for sleeping in right if you can't sleep for about 20 minutes get up and go and do something else something really boring Really? Yeah, like you know, I don't know, sorting out your taxes that I'm supposed to be doing at the moment, <laughs> like, right? Where you feel really drowsy and you don't. I know young people like you as well. Frankie would like sit there, watch their, you know, use their uh, computers. Phone. Or yeah. Don't, don't be really disciplined. Mm. Be, you know. Try and leave, you know, just try and stop maybe about an hour before you go to bed. Don't do emails in bed. Don't do texting in bed. None of that. Okay, you tell me, how many hours of sleep do you think we need? I don't know. Everyone always says eight, don't yeah, they? Yeah, it's eight. Yeah, I, it's the average. Some people need five. Some people need 11, right? Yeah. But sleep is also, you know, people can sleep standing up. People can sleep all out, either anywhere on the side of a street it doesn't, sometimes I think we make sleep into a bigger issue than it actually is. We need a nice, comfortable mm-hmm. bed. But if we're really tired, we need, the the brain will take the the amount of sleep it needs. It doesn't have to have it in like one long stretch. Like you go to sleep at 11 and you wake up at 7. You yeah. know, it can, you can do 11 to 1. If you're tired, go to bed, okay? hmm also we all have a certain time when we feel really really sleepy try and find i'm really really sleepy about 10:30 because i you know i'm of that age now right if i <laughs> if i sort of say no 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 i want to watch something on tv or if i'm out if i if i go to sleep about 12 then i will sleep really badly because i've missed that little magical time when i'm not yeah so you know again you know find out a little bit more about yourself sleep is it's essential. It's like breathing. Frankie, right? just, you know, but so let the brain do what it needs. Don't say, oh, I need to have, you know, all of these sort of potions. I need to have a bath and I, leave it alone. You know, obviously, mm. you know, brush your teeth, wash your face, or whatever. Then go to bed, switch the light off and go to sleep. Yeah. People struggle. If you're worrying in bed, that's how we got to this question. <laughs> get out. The bed should not be a place where you worry. Because it's dark, it's quiet, and we believe our scary thoughts at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so get up, go to you know go to a different room if you can. Say okay, let me do my worry time now, and then I go back to bed.
0: A big topic that we haven't touched on is medication. Yeah. I feel like that's a massive thing that I always get asked about, and uh, the biggest thing I found was people worrying about coming off yeah. it. More not as in, oh, I'm scared to come off it, more, oh, I shouldn't be on it forever, yeah. I need to get off it, how do I do that? Why, do you th- Why is that such a big thing? Why are people so worried about being on medication?
1: Because they talk about, oh, I don't want to be dependent on anything. Okay, So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a big issue about dependency. There is also an issue now about withdrawal symptoms. Oh, I've had that. They are horrendous. They are horrendous. But, you know, for different medications, you have different symptoms. I always say not everybody needs to go on medication, right? If we do, absolutely wonderful. I'm one of those psychologists like, okay, take it. Like, why not? So if you need it, if if your GP said, you know, like, take this prescription, you know, go and try it out, please, please be brave enough to sort of go for it, all right? You need to be on medication for at least six months. And when you're coming off it, do it very, very gradually. And you're, and whoever's prescribed it, your GP, a psychiatrist, whoever's, pre- work with them to have like a reduction regime. So, you know, you will perhaps, you know, reduce it in I don't know, maybe half. And then so do it very gradually. Mm-hmm. But, and you need to take it every day right so you can't say oh yeah I'll take it now it's not like some vitamin pill or whatever so you need to mm. take every day and you will know that it's working you know maybe after about six weeks sometimes people you know they'll take a tablet that oh my god I feel better like no <laughs> <laughs> um so I do understand there is a dependency no I don't think so but you know psychiatrists would be very, you know, if if you have a psychiatrist, talk to your psychiatrist about, you know, when you think it'd be safe to start coming off it. Pregnant women, you know, during pregnancy, you can be on antidepressants. They're not, people, are, for me, what I struggle with is people can take extraordinary amounts of recreational drugs, okay, <laughs> yeah. right? Oh, they, they don't know what those drugs are. They were like, yeah, it's like, and you won't take a little white tablet, which is yeah. had years and years and years of research behind it. For me, just think about it like that.
0: Yeah, I think as well. Like if you're if you're worried about going on it, like I tried therapy first, was very reluctant to go on any sort of medication, and then I just got to the point where I was like, "Well, this isn't working. Yeah. I obviously need something else." So I feel like. You know, if you want to give yourself a chance, give yourself that chance. But also, there's no shame in it. It's not a failure to be on antidepressants or anti-anxiety. I
1: agree. I agree. And, you know, often lots of research has shown that for clinical depression, especially your type of depression, Frankie, that antidepressants plus CBT provided the, you know, the best outcome for the client, Mm. for the patients.
0: I feel like one of um, quite a current worry that came up quite a lot and that this kind of christmas time can be really difficult you know oh it's the most wonderful time of the year we should all be jolly and happy and and i find those situations although i'm a massive christmas lover yeah i find situations where i'm supposed to be happy or at my happiest sometimes the hardest situations and christmas time christmas pressure came up a lot on the questions and also how to deal with family members that Mm. don't necessarily make you feel great about yourself yep i think that's a really difficult one because with friends you can kind of if you need to it sounds brutal cut people out but with family you don't really feel like you can do that so I don't know, have you got any advice for people around this time of year? And uh,
1: Often, this time of the year is my busiest time because people, really? yeah, seriously, Frank. it's because, you know, people haven't seen uh, relatives for like a year and then you're suddenly expected to be with Auntie whatever Jackie or, you know, like mother <laughs> you haven't spoken to for six months and they're, you're all in this house for like three days. I would, yeah. you know, I would suggest that you become very assertive about things if it's... Don't feel that you need to do everything yourself, you know, delegate, you know, different activities to people and just tell yourself it will pass. <laughs> it will pass. Mm. Like, when is Auntie Jackie going back? Have I organized a car for her to go back?
0: <laughs> um, Make it easy for her to leave. Yes.
1: <laughs> there are trains on Boxing Day, So, <laughs> Like, uh, yeah. Um, it will happen. Uh, also keep the alcohol sort of like, you know, amount available very low in the house. Alcohol sort of, alcohol loosens the tongue. There's always something's going to happen, you know. And you said this to me in January and I haven't been, no, it's like- Eight years ago. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, you know, it will pass. Keep, you know, there's some activity. If we can go out, try and go out for a walk. But don't dread it. It is a time- you know where we can you know just sort of stop for a little bit. I you know I I don't celebrate Christmas, but I love Christmas because we can yeah. eat and everything. So try and focus on the nights. Maybe COVID will be really good this year because we can say to Auntie Jackie, "You can't come down because you won't be able <laughs> to go back." Yeah, it's a good excuse. Yeah. Like, oh, you're not in my bubble, Auntie, so uh, don't come. But, you know, just mm-hmm. be honest. Don't feel.
0: Find a level of assertiveness as so I think that's something you always try to uh, yes. teach me is be a bit more learn, assertive, learn to
1: say no, <laughs> and also, you know, shopping. There's you know there's it's sort of so much written about shopping addiction. Just because we can sit there and order Amazon nonstop from four o'clock, yeah. don't do it. It makes us feel better re- just temporarily. Yeah. Okay? The minute. I know people, I see clients who will just order, order stuff and they won't even open those packages because that thrill of pressing yes, buy, you know, once it's happened and you have that, you know, the real sort of dip afterwards, that's not helpful at all. So have a budget. If you have a partner, discuss it with your partner and follow through. Everybody knows that this year has been really difficult. Uh, yeah I know lots of people who will go out and actually sort of like you know work you know at soup kitchens on a Christmas day because they find it very difficult so do whatever's right for you but again be honest about it you know sort of people being in the kitchen all the time and oh it's 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 this now can we have some sandwiches no so do whatever's <laughs> right for you bring
0: your own aunt Jackie <laughs> <laughs> All the arm trackies out. there' it's going out. Oh. I know, yeah. It's the new Karen. <laughs> um, is there anything else, Mal, that you had written that you wanted
1: to? I think we've, I, I think we've done quite well, Frankie. Uh, I do as well. There's loads of, you know, we perhaps you can suggest some uh, self-help books, and there are so many good ones. But you know, try and get a CBT self-help book because it's much more practical. There's so much out there for anxiety, panic worry OCD do something don't suffer in silence
0: all right well thank you so much Mal Pleasure. I've really enjoyed it I feel like I've quite liked being on the other side of this conversation okay, then, and you, putting you in the hot seat and, 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 <laughs> and you know
1: how anxious I was about this but um, I know yeah. it's so
0: weird seeing Mal worried instead of me yes. but this will have helped so many people I hope it helps you if you're listening and If you sent in a question or a worry, I hope we've kind of covered it. I feel like we covered so many subjects and so many things. And if we're lucky, I might be able to convince Mel now that she's found her feet to come back for season four. So, um, yeah, let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you think of it. And um, it'll be really nice to know if our conversation has helped. So thank you. If you're feeling depressed or unsure about your mental health, the most important thing you can do is to talk to someone. The Samaritans run a confidential 24-hour helpline, which you can call for free in the UK on 116 123. Or you can visit samaritans.org for other ways to find support. You should also contact your local GP. Please remember you are not alone. There is always someone to talk to that wants to help.